Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Nukeproof and Earshots, and we've got a discount code for you, so make sure to keep listening to find out more. The Nukeproof Megawatt has just dropped and it's their first ever e-bike. It's based on a Mega V4, but designed from the ground up as an e-bike to take full advantage of Shimano's EP8 motor. It's running 170mm travel with a 29er doing the business up front and a 275 handling the party at the back. They've engineered the kinematics of the frame so that the bike feels like a downhill bike when gravity's on your side, but with that motor in place, it still gets you back to the top with ease. Put through its paces in testing by the Nukeproof engineers and their team riders like Sam Hill, Nukeproof were keen to make sure they've delivered with their first entry into the e-bike world. Based on Seb Stott's review where he said they've knocked it out of the park, it sounds like they've done really well. There's three spec levels to choose from and you can check them all out as well as finding your nearest Nukeproof dealer over at nukeproof.com. I believe they're stocked with dealers as we speak, so if you're keen, then now's the time to get your hands on one. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years, I've struggled to find a set of headphones that work either on my bike or in the gym. They generally either fall out, are super uncomfortable, or often both. Well, Earshots have specifically focused on creating headphones for action sports. Their Bluetooth headphones use an innovative, proprietary magnetic ear clip design. This unique design can withstand the sharp shock, speed, and functional movements of action sports. These things have been specifically designed to work for what we do. I've had a pair of earshots since the start of this year and after trying so many pairs of so-called sports headphones, I was sceptical. I needn't have been. Arriving in recyclable, minimal packaging and being super easy to set up and fit straight away, these things actually stay put. I've ridden lots of different terrain and paired them up with a few different helmets and I've had zero issues. I was worried that I'd find the magnetic closure uncomfortable, but I find that I actually can't feel it at all. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off a pair of earshots during July just using the code DOWNTIME all in uppercase at the checkout. That brings them down to just under £80. There's free global shipping and a no questions asked 30 day returns policy. You've not got long left, so if you fancy a pair, then head over to earshots.com now. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. I've got a brand new project launching soon. It's called Downtime EP. And if you want to get involved and find out more, then you can sign up over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. There's over 700 of you signed up now and we've started to share some more information about what it is we're up to. Also, thanks to everyone who sent in their thoughts on what makes mountain biking special for you. They were awesome to read and we'll get as many of them as we can into EP1. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, if you've got a couple of minutes, please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. All right, folks, this week I'm joined by a mountain biker who's only 17 years old, but who most of us have probably been aware of for well over 10 years already, Jackson Goldston. We first saw Jackson in a video of him riding his balance bike to kindergarten and hitting every feature on the way, which went viral in a huge way. Since then, Jackson has gone on to ride at massive events like Nitro Circus, the Fest Series and Crankworks. This season, he's taken a few people by surprise. Focusing on downhill World Cup racing, Jackson has already taken his first Junior World Cup win. We sat down to find out a little bit about Jackson's journey so far, what made him focus on downhill racing, how he got prepared and how it's been going. So, without further ado, here's Jackson Goldston. Jackson Goldston, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? 
yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, stoked to finally make it on here. Yeah, nice one. It's been uh, it's been a while. I've been uh, keeping an eye on what you've been up to. And um, normally at this point, we'd kind of wind the clock back and ask you to tell us a bit about how bikes came into your life. But because of a certain little video that your dad made, uh, most of us listening probably remember maybe more of those uh, early moments than you do because you were pretty young. But yeah, for people that don't know, your dad put together a little video of you riding what we we would call a balance bike. I think you call a run bike over there. Um, yeah. I think mostly just to kind of for a bit of fun and to show your grandma and things like that. Um, but it, it it went a little bit crazy. What do you remember about that video? How old were you? So that video, I don't know the exact year I made it, but I think I was around five years old. So just coming out of kindergarten. And uh, yeah, so we just made the video to start. Um, yeah, just to show my grandma and uh, yeah, just to, I don't know, show off what I was doing in the winter break and uh yeah it blew up and it's still blowing up to these day um there's still people like reposting and stuff and getting crazy crazy views so it's still uh even though it's so many years old it's still uh, yeah doing good yeah mad isn't it how that's uh yeah literally like millions and millions of views over and over i think it's the most popular video ever on the pink bike server which uh which says something about it i mean bikes must have been a huge part of growing up right you 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 come from Squamish, both your parents ride. So I'm guessing it was inevitable that bikes were going to be a big part of things, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, from an early start. I had skiing really young. My parents were both ski instructors, so they taught me how to ski when I was two and a half. And uh, in the summer, I'd ride my run bike around. And <clears throat> there was a sick BMX track right um, pretty close to my house, so we would always go down there. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of where it all started for me. Yeah. And were you always like looking for things to do on the run bike, like little drops to go off? Was that like an encouragement from your parents or was it a natural thing for you? Yeah, they mostly bought the run bike. So I wouldn't be as slow. Like when we were going places, like walking downtown, I could be like keep, keeping up to them. So, and then it kind of took off to me, like going off curbs and finding little things I can jump off of. And even if they were talking to some friends, they would, I would always be like doing circles around them and stuff like that. <laughs> awesome. You mentioned that you, um, you had a, a good BMX track nearby. You got into BMX racing for a little bit. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of where everything started for me. Um, my parents got a you know, BMX bike when I was pretty young and, uh, yeah, I would just always go down there and there was races like every Wednesday and on the weekends and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we just, I would race all the time and then ended up doing some of like the Canadian races out in Chilliwack and starting to travel a bit more for it. And, uh, yeah. And then once I found a mountain bike, it kind of changed. <laughs> yeah. So I think you like, you'd, I don't know how you came about, but you'd sort of set your sights on getting hold of a dirt jump bike. Is that, is that right? But your parents weren't just going to go straight out and buy it for you. You had to kind of earn it. Yeah. So it was, uh, that was actually for the run bike. So I had like this okay. like, pretty, pretty crappy little tiny run bike. It had uh, like plastic wheels and stuff. And I, I blew that thing to shreds. And then there was this, we found this one called a Kokua, uh, which had like a little bit of suspension, like proper tires and like, like a solid bike. And uh, so that one I had to work for. I had to walk the dog like every day and uh, I would get like a $2 a day or whatever and save up for it. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I got my, that one, the Kokua through that and then filmed the video after that. So, on ah, that okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Fair play. So how did the how did mountain biking become part of things then? Where did you pick that up from? Kind of from BMX, always went to like, you know, the dirt jumps that were next to the BMX track or like going to ride the pump track and then um, ended up getting, I can't remember what bike it was, but I remember, I mean, ended up like going to like some events as well on my dirt jump or like on my BMX bike and then kind of doing some of those events ended up getting a little shredder dirt jumper that was super sick it was like a 16 inch like tiny little bit of suspension and uh yeah so got that and then started doing more dirt jumping stuff and still race bmx until i was about 13 maybe 12 um but yeah now full downhill full uh yeah full downhill side of things and i mean there was obviously some some kind of natural talent there from the very early days but you also willing to put in the hard work too but i mean the support from your parents that's been a massive part of your journey so far is that fair to say yeah yeah they've definitely been one of the biggest parts of helping they would always send me to the woodward and go to like some crazy events in the winter and uh yeah anytime there wasn't school they'd pull me out of school even to go to events and uh yeah they definitely supported to everything i've done yeah, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned Woodward there. I heard that uh, a family holiday was effectively based around dropping you off at Woodward so that they could uh, yeah. get you some time there. And I think well, you, you were still too young at that point to actually stay. They had to get like a special permission for you to be there or something. Yeah, I was one of the first one, like it was, there was an age limit at like eight years old or whatever. And uh, we finally found figured out a way. I think I went there when I was like six or seven and uh, I had to go and like meet this one of the counselors and then like he became like my my parent that was supposed to be there um and uh yeah so and then my parents dropped me off and they went to sea world in san diego or something like that <laughs> and uh, i was this little five-year-old cruising around woodward having the time of my life and it was so sick but yeah uh, that's incredible yeah. for people that don't know what woodward is can you just explain the premise of it because it may maybe people over in europe aren't so familiar yeah so woodward is it is pretty hard to explain, actually. It's basically paradise for like skaters, scooter riders, dirt jumpers, BMX, all that kind of stuff. So there's like seven or eight skate parks all in this little area. There's like cafeteria housing, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, foam pits, gymnastic places. Like it's anyways, anything you can think of, it's all there. Um, and there's six of dirt jumps as well. So, um, yeah, basically heaven. Yeah, perfect place to be. And that, I mean, I guess that's pretty unusual for a kid at age, what, six or seven to be like spending a week away from their parents at a place like that. It must have been a pretty cool experience with all the other kids. Yeah, it was really sick. So we went for the, I went there the first time for the winter camp, it was called. So it was only a four day thing and it was shorter. Um, and since it was in like the mountains, it wasn't just right in LA, it, was, uh, it snowed. And so all the outdoor parks were closed. And I remember there's one indoor park that's amazing. That's huge. But every single athlete was in there. And then I was this little five-year-old trying to do a line, not like being able to do the big stuff, but um, like trying to get a line done and not get hit by a whole bunch of skaters was pretty tough. So it was a bit, uh, I tried to go outside and ride in the snow a little bit, but it was too cold. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fair play. And Woodward have got a, a mega ramp, haven't they? One of only a, a couple in the world, yeah? Yeah, they had. They, I heard someone say that they might have taken it down, but they had one for okay. a long time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
And you, were you the youngest person ever to ride that? Is that right? I think at the time, yeah. I don't know. There might be some kid now that's done some crazy uh, stuff because I've seen a whole bunch of things of young skaters hitting them now. But yeah, I hit it when I was 10. And I think, I think I, I don't really want to take that as the youngest, but at the time I'd say I was the youngest. Yeah. What's the scale of that thing? Like I've seen, I've seen a video of it, but it's kind of hard to work out quite how big it really is. Yeah, it's uh, so the smallest one is like fifty something feet. I don't know what that is in meters, but um, yeah, so it's fifty foot, and you go down this huge roll, and and then there's a sixty footer and a seventy footer as well. So there's three lips, and then you go into the wall, like the quarter pipe at the end, and I think that's another like thirty three feet tall or whatever, or twenty wow. twenty three or thirty three ends in a three. So yeah, yeah, huge humongous. basically, yeah what how are you processing something like that at that age like did you have any fear when you were little like did, would you just quite happily roll into it or were you kind of quite sensible about building up stuff yeah I, well we spent the full day there and i started by doing like smaller and smaller jumps just but since it wasn't a gap you could just kind of go short distances so i worked my way up to that and then uh yeah i've done plenty of other jumps like crab apple and Worcester that are like big so i had a bit of like practice on like being in the air for that long um, and uh yeah so definitely worked my way up to it because it's pretty dangerous to just go out and do that yeah and do you do you get scared for that sort of stuff like how how does fear feature for you because from the outside watching it looks like oh this this guy's just not afraid of anything he's just <laughs> gonna send things but i'm guessing that's probably not the reality of it for you yeah i mean i definitely do get scared but i also yeah since I did so much practice and stuff before the fears less, but, um, like if I was to just go send that, I'd be, you know, pulling my pants, but, um, yeah, since, since the, yeah, ah, it's kind of, it's kind of a hard one. Cause usually I only get really scared when like something goes wrong or like, like moments like, right. Like if I, the first time I hit it, I cased it pretty bad. And like, I was in the air and I saw that I was going to case. And I was like, Oh, this could be dangerous. So that kind of stuff scares me, but yeah. Once it all goes well, it's it's pretty rewarding. So yeah, you I mean your riding is obviously like progressing rapidly and, and the talent's there. At what point do things start to become different for you compared to other kids? Like when did you stop going to school and because you, you, you did school kind of online from home, yeah? Yeah, I only just started doing school online from home in the past like year and a half now. So okay. I was going still going to full private or public school for um yeah the whole my whole entire life so far uh -huh. um, so i had to had to do a lot of work ahead and prep and luckily my teachers were pretty pretty nice and they didn't really care that i was away and as long as i still stayed up on work yeah you've got te teachers that are mountain bikers as well right i guess so they understand yeah. what you're doing yeah yeah squamish is filled with mountain bikers so and uh yeah since the teachers get the summer off all they want to do is they they make the money in the winter doing teaching and then they get the summer off where they just ride every day so yeah there's fun <laughs> and rock climbers and hikers yeah it's filled with it everyone yeah. that does uh, cool stuff yeah how have you found it then doing the school kind of remotely has that been a good thing for you yeah it's definitely a good thing because i can do it from anywhere right so if i'm in europe or anywhere in the world it's uh something i can do because um i mean going into grade 12 now so this is my last year so everything's pretty hard. Um, so I'm kind of focusing myself on it and not having like distractions from other kids helps a little bit too. 
Yeah. How much time does that take up then when you're away? I mean, you've obviously got a pretty hectic schedule with race and, you know, doing things like this, but how, how much schooling are you having to fit in? Right now I have some pretty easy classes. I'm only doing like gym online and French online and like two other really easy ones. So um, I'm not taking too much time at all. And I can probably like probably be done pretty soon um, and then just have the rest of the summer off. Um, but uh, yeah, it's usually I try to do as much as I can in the mornings or in the evenings when nothing's happening. Yeah. Nice. But depends on a whole bunch of things, like if I'm tired or that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, alongside your, your group of riding mates that you've, I guess you've built up through, uh, through being in Squamish, but also through the race scene. I mean, you, you obviously ride a lot with your parents and especially your dad. There's been a few videos of you guys riding together. Was, was beating your dad like a motivation as you were growing up? Cause I think it seems to be for a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would always like, I don't even know when I started to get a bit faster. Maybe when I was probably 11, 12, 13 ish, we started to, I started to get faster and he started to, well, I don't want to say he got slower, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So probably around that age, I started to yeah do better and it was pretty fun finally being able to like keep up with him and like actually follow him on trails. And, uh, he was still below my doors off on the uphill, but, um, yeah, it was only until like just a couple of years ago that I can finally beat him on the uphill. <laughs> that must've felt pretty good to finally yeah. tick off all those boxes of beating yeah. your dad. How did he feel about that? <laughs> yeah, he was fine. Um, he, he, he saw the day coming. So <laughs> <laughs> do you still ride together a lot as a family kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. We still ride a lot together. Not as much anymore since I've been in Europe a lot, but, um, my dad's got an e-bike now and my mom's been running my e-bike. So, um, yeah, they've been, uh, getting a lot of hours in on the bikes. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, as well as the support from your parents, you've obviously had some really good brands behind you, but when did, when did that interest start to come? Like how old were you when brands started to want to support what you were doing and were you aware of it? Um, so I remember having this one meeting where my dad just said, Oh, we're just going to go be a friend. And uh, it ended up being my first sponsor, I think it was like seven or eight. And it was just like a clothing company. It was actually Royal Clothing. Uh Um, So they were my first sponsor. And yeah, I thought we were just going to meet a friend and then ended up getting a box of clothes. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. It was honestly (laughs) one of the the best days of my life. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool to see that start and then progress over the years to, yeah, getting more and more. Yeah. And do you... Like, how does that all get dealt with? Do you have support, like management support or anything? Or is it, is it you or is it your family? Like, how do you run the, the kind of, I guess the business side of things, right? Because every athlete, it's effectively a business. Yeah. You've got brands supporting you. You've got salaries coming from different places. Yeah, my dad does almost all of that stuff, thankfully. I mean, I think, um, I think he's going to start to want to do less since his job's getting a bit more, like he's getting a lot busier. But um yeah, he's been dealing with all the sponsor stuff and I've been dealing on the Instagram and the writing stuff. So I was going to ask about the, um, the Instagram side of things, right? Cause social media is like more and more of an important part of a rider's offering to the brands. And you were so young when you set out that I'm guessing you probably, I don't even know if you had a phone or whatever, but yeah. like, how did you handle the social media side of things? Were you, did your parents kind of start building that up 
for you in the early days? Yeah, I remember like when I was, oh, I think I was like 10 or 11 or so, it was like a, a big deal to oh, like, get an Instagram account at school and stuff like that. And so I tried to be sneaky since my parents didn't let me. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I downloaded it on my mom's phone, uh-huh. made an account and like hit it behind a whole bunch of other apps or whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, it lasted maybe a day and then they found out. And then it didn't, I did, it did go bad because they kept it going. And then, but they had to run it for me until okay. I was, I think I only just started running it when I was like 15, 16. Yeah. How big was it when you took it over? I think it was maybe around 50,000, 50,000 followers ish yeah. around there. Yeah. I remember doing like a $50,000 giveaway and I was like, okay, once I hit 50,000, I want to do it. So uh, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's pretty unusual, I guess, for you to not really get control of your of an Instagram account until it's at that scale. Like, yeah. that's a busy Instagram account to deal with. Yeah, yeah. It? I mean, I mean, I think that it's pretty awesome that it got to that stage. And yeah, thanks to my dad for posting all that time and getting all that content for me. Um, yeah, fair play. It, it definitely helped a lot to get where I'm today. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, you're a rider that's. Um, I, I guess always been pushing the limits of the sport for someone at your age. Have you found it hard to get bikes that and kit, I guess, to, to kind of keep up with what you're doing? When I was younger, yes, it was definitely um, a struggle to get the right bike that worked for me and fit me and like something I could actually throw around that didn't weigh 60 pounds. Right. So I remember little shredders when they came out, it was a game changer. Um, yeah, they were uh, way lighter. Is, the frames were really good, but it was really hard to find suspension that like actually worked. I remember having to rebuild this one fork almost every day, putting new seals on. My dad got a box of like 200 seals, and we'd blow through them in like a couple months. So, yeah, it was uh, definitely a struggle, but it's cool to see now that there's so many other brands making kids' bikes, and yeah, things are finally getting uh, getting better. Yeah, it's definitely improving. And uh, it must have felt pretty good when uh, when Trek came on board and decided to support you, right? Yeah, that was definitely one of the one of the biggest changes in my career. They uh, they ended up making me a custom custom downhill bike, so it it was a lot shorter in front, and it still had the same rear end. But uh, yeah, it was my first downhill bike, and things was just amazing. <laughs> yeah how how much difference did it make having something that really fitted you i guess because i guess everything up to that point was probably not quite right yeah i was running like a, a norco trail bike before that and then i was on another trek like cross-country bike that was like hundred mile travel and a super steep head angle so i was trying to ride that in the park and absolutely yeah blew it up so um <laughs> finally getting a downhill bike was amazing i think my first trip i took it on i took it to took it to new zealand for like crankworks one year and uh yeah opened it out of the box and it got dented in the plane my brand oh, new man. bike oh it was so sad um and i remember going around the bike park and i had no clue about suspension or anything and how to set it up so i set it up and it felt exactly like my trail bike and i was like oh this is sick because it feels like my trail bike but it's bigger and um I think it was like Andrew Shandro was there and then he like hopped on my bike to see how everything's working. And he was like, 
what is wrong with your suspension? It's like so stiff, like stiffer than his bike. And I was like, what do you mean? It feels like my other bike. And I was, and then, uh, so I gave him my bike for like five minutes and he like did a whole bunch of thing, let a whole bunch of air pressure out. And then I remember dropping into the trail for the first time and like going through the braking bumps instead of getting bounced on them. And it was, oh, I still remember that feeling to my, to this day, like what the heck? It was amazing. <laughs> Revolutionary. And, and you're yeah. still quite quite light, I guess, as a rider. Do you find it hard getting bikes set up how you want them to be, like with suspension and stuff? Yeah, over the off season, I finally got a bit of muscle on me, so I'm not finally in that range of where the suspension actually works. So, um, yeah, it's a bit easier this year, but definitely in the past, I've struggled trying to put as many tokens in and trying to do whatever I can to make the bike work. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, from a really young age, you've been in – the media spotlight and there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of mountain bikers all over the planet. You've effectively been kind of watching you grow up in a way, right? They've seen you from those early days. They've seen all these like first person to, or youngest person to hit the mega ramp, first person to do this, like youngest person to ride that. At what point did you realize what was going on? And like, how, how do you feel about it? It must be quite weird. Yeah. uh, I didn't, really notice it until like someone asked for my autograph for the first time. And then I was like, Whoa, that's uh, that's a big deal. Cause it was all, like, I was still asking for autographs from like Seminock and reader and all those big guys like that. And then someone asked for my autograph. It was like, wait a minute, what's going on? So, um, <laughs> it was kind of then that it realized like, Oh, this is actually like a big deal. People are, people actually know who I am. So kind of, I don't know exactly what age it was, but maybe around yeah, 10, 11. So, started from there yeah and does it does it freak you out at all or have you kind of just learned to deal with it yeah i've just learned to deal with it and uh, i find it pretty cool actually getting to talk to fans and stuff like that i actually enjoy it a lot so because i know some people try to stay away from that but i try to um do my best to respond to as many dms as i can and yeah meet everyone i can as well cool and um you i mean danny mccaskill i hear was a uh, a big kind of hero of yours growing up. Is it true that you met him and he kind of recognized you from some videos? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the first time I met him, the first time I met him, it was <sighs> the first time I met him. It was a long time ago. I don't even know what, how old I was, but, and then the second time I met him, I think he, yeah, like realized like, Oh, I've seen this kid before. And, uh, it was actually on my birthday. It was like my 10th birthday in Huntington beach. He was like filming a video. And we were just on the beach and like look over and saw a Red Bull helmet. And it was like, wow, Danny McCaskill was right there. So we went over and said hi. He let me like ride his bike and we chatted for a little bit. But um, yeah, that was yeah probably the best birthday ever. Yeah, that's a pretty special day out. Danny's uh, Danny's incredible with the fans. Eh? You see him at Fort yeah. William and like he just spends <laughs> hours moving four meters across the arena, but he'll stop and chat to everyone. It's uh, yeah, it's awesome to see. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Let's um let's talk a little bit about the last few years because you've been to some pretty incredible events and uh and achieved some pretty impressive things. Let's start off with Nitro Circus. Um and again maybe explain a little bit about what Nitro Circus is because I'm I'm guessing not everyone that listens will will be familiar with it. Yeah, I mean it's pretty hard to explain what exactly Nitro Circus is <laughs> since it's so crazy. Um it's basically yeah, like an action show where they have fire they have motocross like skateboarders and this big mega ramp so uh 
yeah, they have like put on a show for everyone. They do like side by side backflips, double backflips, triple backflips for the BMX guys, and uh, it goes pretty crazy. And um, they came to Vancouver, and they let me ride the practice. And then they saw I like I was riding the practice really good. I like backflipped the big jump and like backflip no hands and did some other tricks. And uh, they realized, like, oh, this could be co- cool for the show since all like everyone knows who who I was since it was all like my friends from school and stuff. So um, yeah, I I was gotten to the practice and then like last minute decision like twenty minutes before the event, I was already like changing stuff out of my riding stuff. And they're like, you want to be in the event? And I was like, oh my god, let's do it! So I went in the event and uh, I did like two runs and it was so crazy. It was like one of the first times i've had a crowd that big just like like screaming and it was uh it was pretty gnarly going down the roll and and just like not being able to hear anything except for just like the roar of the crowd so it was uh yeah a a pretty amazing feeling yeah riding in front of an arena of people must be a pretty unique experience yeah yeah and it was cool because it was all my friends i went to school the next day and it was like no way that was you like because they didn't know and I i didn't even know until 20 minutes before so yeah that's pretty, pretty cool. special yeah and then you've been to uh you've been to fest series event which i think it's fair to say you know those events bring them pretty much the biggest jumps out there that were they the biggest jumps you've hit up to now yeah probably definitely the biggest jumps i've hit and probably the biggest jumps i'll hit for a while um that was last year and it was one of the best weekends ever I only got to ride for like two days in the event since I had to leave to go home uh, early, but it was so amazing. Yeah, the jumps were pretty crazy. I got through the line first try and I just like, I landed everyone perfect since the jumps are built so well. I like hit hit the first one and landed good and I was like, oh, might as well keep going. So I hit the next one, landed good. I was like, okay, let's keep going. And then, um... I did that all the way down, but for the step down, like it's like a, a long, like basically a flat lip, but still like a 90 foot gap. Yeah. And I yanked so hard because I didn't want to case it and I didn't know any of the speed. I was following someone, so I had the speed, but like I didn't know what it was going to feel like. So I pulled super hard and I went so far. I went way <laughs> past the landing since they're like, they're built perfect, like no pedals, no brakes. You just like sit down in between the jumps and you can like do them all perfectly. So I pulled off it and went so deep and like got myself back together for the corner and then hit the jump. But it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty sick. An experience. What, yeah. What makes those events so special? Is it, is it the jumps? Is it the people you're riding with the atmosphere? Cause everyone that, that ever goes seems to say it's the best thing ever. Yeah. It's, basically all of what you just said yeah the riders are all sick nico has built probably one of the best jump lines ever in the world and uh yeah it's just so like relaxed like there's no it's not really an event you just go ride have fun and uh yeah get some sick photos yeah and the best part is that there's like a a little t-bar to get back up so you don't have to hike back up and it's just like you hop on the t-bar and it's like boop back to the top in two minutes perfect yeah. And you getting to know that group of people pretty well now from the sort of events that you've been to, like, have you been welcomed into the, into the fold, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely met like parts of riders and stuff like that, but, um, Nico kind of the main guy that puts the event on. I don't even know when I met him first, but it was probably Audi nines where I met him and started hanging out with him a lot more and like 
becoming friends. But uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. And uh, yeah, thanks to Nico for letting me into the event. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you mentioned Audi Nines. That was uh, your first double backflip to dirt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Audi Nines, I think it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. Did my first double backflip. And it was such a perfect setup since they had the airbag there. I practiced one there, did it on the airbag a couple times, and then just went straight to dirt. So, Yeah. Do you have anything like that at home, airbags or any sort of facilities locally to you? Like, what, How do you learn all your, all your tricks? There's uh, an airbag about two hours away at this like indoor place that's pretty sick, and I usually go in the winter when it's pretty snowy. Um, but nothing of that size. It's more like a flat bag and nothing with a landing on it. Uh Um, but there's a couple like private ones around that I don't know who to talk to, to get into, but, um, yeah, it's pretty hard to find a a setup that good. Yeah. uh, Fair play. And then, uh, one other event I wanted to touch on before we start talking about kind of the racing side of things was, uh, was Crankworks Rotorua 2020. Um, you took the whip-offs win and that, that must feel pretty good. That's a, a a win that kind of a lot of riders would love to take, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing, an amazing event. Uh, the jump was so perfect and it was my first time like riding a jump and like being in an event at night. I haven't really done that before. I've gone for a couple of night rides, but, um, it was pretty funny since it's all at night. If you wear like dark clothing, it looks really bad for photos and stuff. So everyone was like, put their brightest stuff on white and uh, all that stuff. So my mom ended up buying me some like white pants and like a white t-shirt and had this like other vest thing on. And so it looked way better for photos. Um, But uh, yeah, the jump was so sick the crowd was cool. And this was like, literally I got home and then like everything locked down. So it was uh, pretty cool to finally squeak an event in. And uh, then uh, before everything happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, based on everything we've talked about so far, it's, it feels pretty safe to say that if you want it, there's a, a pretty great freestyle career ahead of you. But it turns out you're also a big fan of riding fast downhills. Was yeah. World Cup downhill always a goal for you? Yeah, it was always a goal for me ever since I did a couple races, 2017, 2018. I had a couple pretty good results at some of the races and I was like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go for at least my first year junior, just to like try and, uh, see how it goes. So I did my first year junior. Well, now it's my first year junior. And, um, yeah, I wanted to do world cup because I feel like doing free ride and all that stuff is easier to fall back on in like when you're older. Like, I think you could like go do rampage and stuff after like, you know how G did it. He did it, did a whole bunch of racing and then went back to, um, yeah, rampage and stuff like that. So I think it's a bit harder to go from free ride to downhill. So uh-huh. that's kind of why I chose to go for the World Cup side of it. Yeah, fair play. When did you take on a coach then and really start making that your focus? Only in the last six months. Okay. Um, yeah, I had, I was basically just riding for fun before that and like kind of pushing myself as a rider. And then only this year I started getting into the gym and yeah, really pushing my body as much as I can. Yeah. How's it been then having, having that structure to things? Is it, does it kind of take the edge off the fun a bit or have you kind of got into it? 
Yeah, I really actually enjoyed it. Over the off season, I was in the gym like five days a week, all, all winter. So um, it was a lot. But uh, yeah, I had a good gym and I was going with a couple of buddies. So it was pretty fun. Yeah. Fun to push push that side of it as well. Yeah. And are you noticing the impact of the gym work on your riding? Yeah, this year definitely was the biggest change of my speed and riding style. I finally kind of over the off season got some more technique and kind of worked on like the small things of riding. So, you know, breaking points and flat cornering and that kind of stuff. So, um, gaining that bit of muscle actually helped in those side side of things too. And like, even like big, big hits, I don't notice anymore. And also one of the big things I don't get arm pump anymore. Okay. Not at all. I, not at all. I'm, I don't know how I did a full eat it. Like I mean, my EWS race that I did, there was like a nine minute race, nothing, no arm pump at all. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. It used, to be a big, it used to be a big problem for me last year. So yeah. yeah. Is that something that you've kind of particularly targeted? Like have you been working with a coach to try and improve that specifically, or is that just a byproduct of everything you've done? Yeah, I did do a couple couple things that were very grip strength focused uh-huh. and that was a big part of it so yeah, yeah i guess cool. so. what sort of stuff have you been doing like how, everyone in the mountain bike world wants to know what grip strength stuff you've uh, done to get rid of arm pump yeah there's a whole bunch of things but um yeah i don't i don't even know what the names are but um i was doing a lot of like cleans in the gym and uh that was one of the biggest ones so okay that helps a lot for kind of full yeah. body as well you get um yeah legs arms and hands <laughs> yeah fair play am, am i right in saying that your sister is it bailey your older sister yeah so she's been racing world cup she's like a couple of years or so ahead of you on the world cup side of things is that right yeah she's like two years older than me so she's going into her first year in elite um so last in her first year junior she raced leo gang leger and was it Montsainan, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Um, she had, yeah, it didn't go too well for her, actually, now that I think of it. She crashed in almost every single one except for Leger. So she had a huge crash right at the bottom in Leo Gang. And, yeah, I was airlifted to the hospital. So that oh, was wow. a gnarly crash from her. It's pretty scary. I watched it happen, actually. But she had an amazing run going for that. And then uh, Leger was all right. And then Montsainan, she had a big crash as well and knocked herself out. So um yeah well she doesn't i can't really i don't really know most of the monster answer because she doesn't remember it so i don't know Whoa. um but we, uh yeah yeah Are she's we, go for it well i was just gonna say were you traveling to those races with her like to get a bit of a feel for how it all works and to get familiar with the circuit yeah i went to leo gang and i didn't go to leger and Montserrat, but i went to leo gang to watch her and then it was yeah just to kind of see how everything went down and um yeah to see it was crankworks right after so i went to crankworks but just went the week before to leo gang and uh, yeah saw everyone riding it was pretty cool to see how different it is to like a canada race or whatever something like that yeah definitely get a bit familiar with it before you have to do it yourself so when it i mean when it came around to time to start racing um i don't know what you had as far as kind of offers from teams or whatever but you decided to to join the miranda team which I guess it's fair to say is kind of one of the lesser known teams. It's not one of those big yeah. names that everyone knows of. What drove 
that decision? Because it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a different one. So leading in, like last year, I have had the basically the best setup for bike. And like I literally chose every sponsor to what I wanted, not to what kind of gave me the best deal. So more to ride the best parts I could. And uh, if I were to join a different team like Trek Factor or whatever, I had to lose a whole bunch of those sponsors. So I wanted to keep as much as I can. And for joining Miranda, I had to, I just run their cranks and they're sick cranks. They're amazing. And uh, I get to keep all my other sponsors, which is a bonus. And uh, yeah, I don't have that kind of extra pressure from a big factor team. And I can still go do the loose fest events and kind of, yeah, do whatever I want, which is an amazing, amazing uh, experience. Yeah, it sounds like you've got the perfect setup. And you've got, I think, three Portuguese teammates. Is that right? Tiago, Ladera, Manuel Pombo, and Nuno Reese. Mm-hmm. So, did you, did you know those guys before? or I knew Nuno. I've known him for a long time. We've raced together for a while. And then the other two guys, they race e bikes. Uh-huh. So, basically, at the World Cups, it's me and Nuno. And we're super close. He's an awesome guy. He's an amazing rider, too. And uh, yeah, we train together. and together a lot and he's uh, yeah, super cool to hang out with nice so it's been a good fit into that team from the start then yeah yeah i've known him yeah for the past three years i think we've been racing at the kind of the rookies world champs and that kind of stuff in uh in europe so yeah it's really cool. cool so you had a you had a busy off season kind of i guess getting putting muscle on getting ready physically getting all the team set up was there were there other things that you had to get done yeah well it was not just in the gym i had a whole bunch of uh i bought some timing setups and had some insane days uh you know timing i had a weekend on the island with uh kind of where stevie smith used to ride and where finn and mark ride so i had a week there where i was timing and uh yeah it was amazing it's kind of starting to push myself in the in the timing side of it is is a thing i actually really like and yeah, even if it's just alone, seeing myself go like even like 0.5 faster, it's like, oh, let's go. So I get pretty hyped, even, uh, <laughs> even though it's not much of a difference. <laughs> That's cool. Were you getting like help with that? Like were there people there either, either coaching kind of riding technique or helping with line choice or whatever? Or is it, is it just kind of you on the hill throwing in laps and working through yeah. it? Yeah, I usually do most of the that kind of stuff myself, like lines. I, I always make lines myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had my mom shuttling me and she was, uh, yeah, so she was driving. I was trying to beat her down every time. And, uh, yeah, the, the road was a bit faster than the trail I was doing. So she was, uh, she beat me like by less and less every time. Nice. And do you, did you have a lot of kind of, was it just top to bottom times or did you have like split times in there as well? So you got more of a breakdown on the track. Um, I just had a top to bottom time, um, I could have added some splits, but I needed some more of the, the little timing things. I didn't have any extra. Um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I think I'll maybe purchase some more for the off season, see if I can make some some split times because it's. Uh, I really split times are something that's pretty pretty interesting, especially in like the World Cups, since there's like four of them, so you can break the track to, break the track down quite a bit more. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's some some strategy and some learning to do on that side of things for sure. Oh, yeah. Do you feel? I don't, I mean, it's hard to compare to others, I guess, but as, as a junior, you're already like a household name for most mountain bikers around the world. And that's pretty rare 
riders in the junior field, I'm guessing you get quite a lot of media attention as well. Do you you think that puts additional pressure on you? Yeah, I think it does put additional pressure on me. But since that, I have a pretty low pressure team from Miranda and my parents aren't really expecting much, um, that it definitely averages out and isn't too bad. So I kind of, yeah, chose the right sponsors and kept everything as minimal as possible. Yeah. And so how how was it? I mean, you turn up at at Leergang for the first round after a few delays and a few cancellations of races but Leah Gang I, I mean it delivered a pretty exciting race from what we saw on the television product but we don't get to see much of the junior coverage how was it for you yeah Leo Gang Leo Gang was weird it was my first race in so long like so so long so um it was pretty weird to get used to like for my quality run it was like it almost felt like I was just going for another practice run it didn't really like set in like this is a world cup so <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was a bit weird in that kind of side of it, but, um, the track was so sick. Um, the woods were really, really difficult, but I still was having a lot of fun on it. And, uh, yeah, so for the juniors, it's pretty tight racing this year. There's some really, really fast riders, even first year and second year. So it's all, it's not like the second year guys are way ahead of us. So, um, it's a pretty good battle for, for everything, which is pretty nice. And I like yeah. that. Yeah, and you took second place at that that first round in Lear Gang. Mm-hmm. What did you have an expectation going into it, and like how does that compare to what you were hoping? I didn't really have any expectations. I obviously had the the goal to win, but um, I didn't. The main thing that I was kind of stoked about was like I didn't know where I like set in the winter. Like I didn't know how fast I was going, and I just wanted to see like if I was even close or if I was going to be 20 seconds off the win or whatever, like I didn't know kind of how, how much the other guys have done. So, um, after getting second with the run I did, I was pretty stoked and I was like, okay, this is going to be a good season since, uh, yeah, I realized kind of where I was at. Yeah. And you must've felt confident then coming into, to Leisure. You knew you had the pace to, to take a win, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, that gave me definitely a bit more experience and kind of, the momentum to do good in Leger and it definitely helped. Yeah. How was that track? It looked incredible. In Leger, oh my gosh. Best track I think I've ever ridden in my life. Um it's a lot like Squamish, except Squamish trails are like a bit skinnier. And that was like what five feet wide and just so many lines and super, super fast. So it was yeah, it was amazing. I'm guessing you didn't have too many issues with the jumps. No, the jumps were fine. Um, it was actually pretty – the first – the road gap that everyone was um, killing themselves on was uh, a pretty scary one, actually. Going into my first time, I just – what I like to do for my first lap is I like to just get everything done with and just go off go off and do all the jumps first lap. So I hit the jump, and there was uh, – yeah, there was a big crowd there. And, like, hit the jump and just made it into the corner, like like landed super far to the right, and it was so scary. And so I knew for the next laps that like, okay, jump as far left as you can, even if you go inside of the next corner, like it's worth doing that than, uh, yeah, going too far right and going over the berm. Yeah. It's a nice approach. Pretty heavy slams there. Yeah. I've seen a few. That's a nice approach though, I guess, because you've, you've kind of, by clearing all the jumps or doing it and committing to doing it in your first run, you've got that fear or that thing niggling on your mind out of the way, right? It's done. And then you can just get into the rest of the, the practice, I suppose. 
yeah, I just want to, yeah, focus on the rest of the course since the jumps aren't like kind of where you gain or lose much time. So, but it is cool where, where you could, everything, it's where everything could go wrong. So yeah, um, yeah. True. Yeah. Talk us through your race run. How did it go? <sighs> race run was pretty sick. I had, yeah, I was dropped in. I was dropped in. I think I dropped in last since it was kind of a weird start order. I qualified second, but the, since the, like the leaders, the leader guy qualified like fourth or whatever, but he dropped ahead of me. And I don't know. Anyways, there was a weird, weird start order. Um, and yeah, I dropped in last. So it was pretty, pretty cool to get down to the bottom and not like be on the suspense of like, was that good enough and have another kid come down. But, um, top to bottom run was really sick. I was struggling a bit more in the upper woods. I was kind of kept messing up this one line and tried to do another one in practice and it wasn't really working. So I went back to that first line and got it better in the race run. But, um, Definitely lost a bit of time. I think it was like 1.5 seconds down at the first split, uh-huh. which is pretty quick, like pretty short split. So yeah. the other kid, Jordan, who's really, really quick this year, put a second and a half to me there, which I was like, whoa. Well, I didn't know at the time, but it was like pretty crazy to see that he was that quick at the top. And then where everyone was going a bit slower at the bottom was where I excelled and gained a lot of time. I think I brought back like two and a half seconds on him. So yeah, my bottom section was really, really good. And, uh, yeah, had a good drive out onto the motorway and it was dry for us as well. It was yeah. before the rain came. So I wasn't struggling on that off camber before that jump. Cause that <laughs> definitely had a couple, couple, um, yeah, moments on that. And, uh, yeah, yeah came to the bottom. There was like three jumps at the very end and I was like, I had such a good run so far. So I was sprinting as hard as I can. I didn't want anything to go wrong. And I kind of like didn't think about the jumps as much. And the first jump I went to the, I like literally landed on the bottom of the jump at the flat bottom and then like, ha- like was still pedaling and then hit the next one and just made it. So I cleared it because if I case that next one, it would have probably, I would have lost a lot of time. Even though I landed flat, I probably lost maybe half a second. Uh-huh. But if I case the next one, I would have lost like another second. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Got lucky on that last bit because I wasn't really thinking. And then, uh, came around the corner and took him in pretty stuff green light yeah it must have felt right. pretty good to stand on the top of that podium it was kind of a weird one at the finish as well because um i came down to the bottom and i turned like everyone was cheering but it, like usually everyone cheers no matter what um so i looked turned around and i saw the red first two splits but i didn't see the green i don't know what was going through my mind but i didn't see the green one so i saw the red first two splits and i was like oh I don't know what I did, but I was like, oh, I didn't win. And then uh, everyone like started running up to me and hugging me. And like, well, like literally, I think maybe the timing thing was up there for three seconds and then the timing went away. So I didn't know what I did. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, everyone started running up and hugging me. And, and uh, yeah, that kind of is what was when I realized that I won. And it was a, yeah, an insane feeling. Yeah. Nice one. Good effort on that. And then after that, like, I saw that and I assumed you'd be heading back home, but you went and raced the EWS in La Twille. Are you kind of, is any of your training like aimed at that? Is that an objective or are you just there for fun? Yeah, I didn't even really know I was going to be doing the La Twille either. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like I had uh, just a, a spare week in Europe before my flight home. And 
EWS was pretty close. It was only like an hour and a half drive. I had, a, I had my trail bike with me and I was like, okay, might as well go do it since a couple of my friends are doing it as well. And uh, yeah, so I went there just kind of for fun, just planning on just going for like a big day on, on the bike. Not, not really going to care on like whatever position I got. Like that didn't really matter to me at all. And uh, yeah, ended up first day coming in third. So it was a bit of a like, bit of a shock to me since like, I finally realized that I could actually do good. Um, and it was pretty sick. Was, yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks like a good event. Like, did you enjoy the format and the trails out there? Yeah, I definitely, I think everyone's been telling me that I chose the best one. Um, there was the least amount of pedaling and the best trails. So, uh, yeah, pretty, I guess I'm pretty stoked that I chose a good one. Um, but yeah, the trails were super sick. Um, it was kind of, they were like old hiking trails that like kind of had a bit of berms on them. So it was like, whole bunch of switchbacks and stuff like that and it was yeah really sick and some of the stages were super super loamy um so just amazing riding yeah is that something we'd see you at again do you think or is it just something that you might do for a bit of fun if it fits yeah definitely something i just do for fun i don't think i would ever well not at this moment i wouldn't go fully do us but if the yeah if the timing's right i would definitely do another one yeah cool so would you say you're like a hundred percent focused on downhill racing for now. How, what's kind of priorities for you, would you say? Yeah. 98% focused on downhill. So <laughs> still got that 2% of, uh, yeah. Trying to do good on slope style and free riding that kind of stuff too. But, um, yeah, that's my, that's my off season stuff. So, um, yeah, usually in the off season, I take a bit of a break from downhill bikes and, uh, yeah, ride my slope bike and go to the skate park and stuff a lot more. Yeah, cool. And who are you looking up to in the mountain bike world these days? Obviously, Danny McCaskill was a big inspiration early on, but I'm guessing riders like Cade and Chaos are maybe kind of the closest to doing what you do, like bringing good downhill results and combining that with the style and the skills in the other disciplines. Like, who? yeah, who do you look up to? Yeah, I'm kind of looking up to a whole bunch of people. Those guys, Cade and Chaos, are just amazing riders on the bike, and it's so cool to see, like, their kind of riding style since I've definitely tried to take a lot of stuff from that. Um, a lot from like Troy and Greg Renard kind of with their, their kind of skills. So Troy's a small guy. I've tried to been uh, trying to look like him and ride like him. And I've had a couple people actually tell me that, uh, yeah, our riding style is pretty similar. So um, yeah, kind of trying to take as much in from everyone as I can and uh, yeah, learn as much as possible. Nice. And you've obviously, I mean, there's a broad set of skills there. There's a lot of doors open to you. Where do you see yourself in like five or 10 years time? An elite world champion in downhill, a rampage winner, hardline? Like what What would you like to, to see? Well, I mean, hopefully at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, definitely want to keep going for the World Cup stuff for a little bit longer since I'm having so much fun in it. And uh, yeah, just do the best I can. It'd be awesome. But um yeah, I don't even know. Who knows where I'm going to go? So, could uh, yeah, do as much as I can. I think though. Nice. All right, so I've got a, a little daughter, and I'd love to see her enjoying riding. She's still a little bit too young, but we'll get there. And I'm sure there's <laughs> lots of people listening to this who've got who've got kids and they're either getting into it or already ride. Yeah. What would you say is the most kind of important thing that your parents have done for you to help you get to where you are now with it? 
definitely the biggest thing was to not push. Like my parents didn't push me at all to do anything. It was all me who wanted to do it. Um, I've seen so many amazing riders get burnt out and from BMX and that kind of stuff that is just their parents would like, Oh, you, you didn't win. Like you don't get this and all that kind of stuff. And they, uh, it just make it too much for them. And, um, yeah, so they would get burnt out. So just keep it low pressure and yeah, just go have fun on your bike instead of, uh, trying to be the, trying to be a, trying to be a hero. <laughs> nice. Good advice, man. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time, but we've got four questions that we've asked pretty much everyone. So we'll, uh, We'll hit those up. The first okay. is if our if our listeners had 150 pounds, which I think is about 260 Canadian dollars, to improve their performance on a bike, what would you uh, recommend they go and spend it on? Is it like adding to your bike, or could it be like skill as well? It could be either. Yeah. Because um, I'd say maybe like a day in a bike park. I don't you probably still have some money left to maybe add, like chuck some new tires and some new brake pads on. Cause that makes a really big difference. Um, but, uh, yeah, a day in a bike park, I think is one of the best things you could ever do. Just, you learn like for Whistler, like you learn so much just by riding like a day. So I think, uh, yeah, getting a day in the bike park, trying to do as many different trails as you can do jumps and uh, corners and tech doing it all. Um, yeah since you get so much riding in in such little time i think that's one of the best things you can do nice and then tires and brake pads what are you using have you got like a go-to recommendation yeah i've been using maxis tires probably i'd go for uh asagai dhr it's a pretty good combo i've been running it for the past while um and yeah just whatever brakes you have go for some fresh steel brake pads and uh yeah, I'll make it a way, and maybe even new rotors too, if you have some extra cash learner. I don't know what prices are these days. So, <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. And the, the second question is, if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? But that was like yesterday for you. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm going to change it and say, what advice would you give to other young riders? Other young riders? Oh, take in as much as you can, really. Yeah, experience as much as you can and ride as much as you can. So basically, um, I've seen so many kids like try to like be scared to go like up to pros and like ask for signatures and like go like be scared to race and that kind of stuff. But like, just go do it. Um, yeah, I've seen so many. Yeah, even like friends of mine are like, yeah, I don't want to race this race because this person's going or whatever. And it's like, what? Why do you care about that person? Just go have fun for yourself and uh, yeah, just try to do as much as you can. I don't know. Nice advice. I like it. Third question. If you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? It's a tough one, actually. You can, you can have more than one if you want. More than one coach? Yeah. Maybe a bit of like, definitely a session with Stevie Smith. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I'd learned from him. Probably everything, but uh he was such a legend on a bike and yeah, I definitely wanna experience a, a coaching session with him since I only got to ride with him like maybe a couple times. But uh him maybe maybe uh yeah, go for get some coaching from like Hans Ray, like that kind of okay. stuff is like nice. he's a pretty pretty big inspiration to me watching him do 
all the trial stuff is amazing. So I think that's uh, cool. that stuff, that's that kind of side. So you get downhill and uh, that side of stuff too. So yeah, because Hans Red probably sort of stopped doing a lot of videos and stuff like before you were even born, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's, the stuff he still does now is pretty sick too. But um, yeah, uh, he's pretty sick. Yeah, I remember going to see Hans Ray perform at a bike show in the UK when I was like 15 or something. So and I'm 42. So he's been yeah. going a while. Like, it's impressive. And still going strong. Yeah, incredible guy. All right, final question. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Hmm. Good night's sleep. Yeah. I sleep like an absolute baby. I try to fall asleep from, well, I could sleep from 10 to 2 p.m., but uh, I've been sleeping right now from like 9 till 7 and getting like so many hours of sleep since I've, a whole bunch of my friends are like, they would go to sleep at what, like midnight, wake up at 7 and only getting 7 hours, which is still a lot. But yeah, I've been getting like 10, 12, 11, and that's definitely helped me so much just to say, keep that energy going since um, the schedule has been so busy this year. Um, yeah especially with more training i guess as well like you're yeah. probably more physically fatigued than you would have been in the past maybe yeah and that yeah just that recovery helps a lot yeah do you find it hard to take time out to recover properly i get the impression you're a guy that would uh, be riding every minute of the day if you had the choice yeah i it is pretty difficult to recover for me because now that i think about it i haven't really i've had one week off in the past month two months where I haven't been racing in the weekend. So, um, yeah, it's been a pretty busy schedule and yeah, I just, yeah, I try to, I mean, I don't really, I'm still a young kid, so I don't need too much recovery as like some of the other guys, but, uh, yeah, it's still hard to set time away for that. Yeah. And looking forward to getting back to Europe for the next world cup in a few weeks time. Yeah. I think I'm going to be leaving pretty soon here. So, um, yeah, getting stoked to go back there. It's such a good, uh, such a good crew and all my friends from the world cup that have uh start to kind of get um yeah i start to know so stoked to see them again good stuff man nice well if people want to follow you throughout the season and see how you get on where's the best place for them to find you yeah probably my instagram just uh at jackson goldstone um that's probably the best place to do most of my updates and writing clips from there i have a yeah, I think my, I don't even know. I think I posted my Facebook, but I don't know what Facebook does anymore. And I don't know if people use Facebook anymore, but Instagram is definitely the best place. I have, uh, I also have a YouTube that I did a couple of vlogs on. And um, yeah, maybe sometimes I get on the Pink Bike article. So you'll see me there too. Awesome. All right. We'll stick, uh, yeah, we'll stick links to your Instagram and the YouTube in the show notes and people can find it there. But yeah, thanks, man. It's been really interesting chatting, finding out a little bit more about you. I'm looking forward to seeing how you get on for the rest of this season and beyond. I think it's going to be uh, some exciting times coming up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stoked to be on this. All right, that's it for this episode with Jackson. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A big thanks to Nukeproof for supporting this episode. They've just launched their first e-bike, the Megawatt, and it seems to be going down really well, with super techie reviewer Seb Stott saying that they've knocked it out of the park. There's three models to check out and stock with dealers now, so head to nukeproof.com to see the bikes and find out more. Also, a big thank you to Earshots. If you're looking for a pair of headphones for riding or training which are comfortable and stay put, then Earshots are the one for you. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off by using the code DOWNTIME, all in uppercase, at the checkout over at earshots.com. 
There's just one more thing left for you to do. That's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address to find out what we're up to and get the chance to be one of the first people to get your hands on a very special EP1. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the podcast. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there's a few ways you can help me out. Tell your mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and it helps getting the buzz going around the episodes. And if you fancy and you've got a couple of minutes, then a review on Apple Podcasts is also really helpful. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>